Jesus said to let the little children come to him and don't hinder them. And so the children have a desire to be disciples just like we do. And they want to learn more and they want to serve people in the church. They want to serve the children. And they want to love on everybody just like we all do. Yes, I want to help teach the, kill, the children about uh, God and get them enrolled with what we do at church. I started serving to teach other and younger kids about God and how much he did for us and his great compassion for us. Well, I started serving because I wanted to serve God and I love kids, so I wanted to spread God's love with them. Our kids are investing in the next generation by helping the little kids and encouraging them to love Jesus like they do. My favorite part of serving is welcoming the children coming when they're coming through the gates. And they're all excited about getting ready to serve God and learning and getting ready to learn about Him. Spend time with the kids and take care of them while their parents are worshiping God. A lot of our junior helpers have been serving for a long time because they started coming when their parents were serving. I've been coming here since I was like two years old and um, as soon as I came of age, Dad like told Pastor Lynn. Mom started serving in the nursery so I served with her and when she moved to the new tools, I helped serve her for second service and when I had time, I went to the nursery for third service. The sucker got me into serving because she wanted me to help out and because she knows I love kids. Start to build relationships with the kids they're serving and they're hugging them and looking forward to seeing them and that is fuel for them coming back. Serving here really helped me understand a lot about God and Jesus. I think it would really help them as well. Come because it's fun and you'll learn more and you'll love the kids. You have a great compassion for teaching others about God and His love for others, then that, this would be a great job for you. We don't want to hinder them, we want to encourage them to do the Lord's work. That's an encouragement to them that what they're doing is, is building faith in Jesus as the kids get older, as well as in themselves as they serve. How's about that? 1,300 hours. We want to thank all of our junior helpers, especially uh, Raquel and Julia and Ihilani for doing that video. Uh, we have Kiana with us this morning, so we're going to welcome up Kiana uh, just to ask her a couple of things. It, they sound so matured, right? So Kiana, how old are you? I'm good. No, how, what how, did I say? How, you said how are you? How old are you? Oh, how old am I? I'm 12. Okay, 12. So how long have you been serving? Um, about two years, both in the Little Builders and the nursery. Okay, two years. What made you want to serve in the nursery and Little Builders? I really enjoy working with children. They're so interesting the way that they start as young and they get older and just watching them grow. <laughs> She's 12 years old, talking about them being young and then watching them grow. But we've we seen you grow up uh, because you were born here at, uh, in the church. Mm -hmm. And, but not literally. <laughs> Aha. 
but you were in Little Builders, and then you grew up through Team Kids, but now you're in the youth ministry. I am. So when you went from the nursery to Little Builders, do you remember the babies that were there? No, not really. Because they were too tiny? Probably. Well, now they're running around. <laughs> Did they make trouble to you? Sometimes. Can you point out the parents whose kids are... No, I'm just... Not, <laughs> not at the moment. Yeah. But you have fun with them. I do. So it's not babysitting. No. What's the difference? It's a little more than that because instead of just watching them and telling them what they can and can't do, we're sharing the message of God through them. Like when they're taking something from a child, we don't just tell them, no, that's wrong. We explain to them the reason why and why God says that's wrong. Wow. That is awesome that... I, because our children are growing up to learn about the things of God and, and having that value. Uh, who's your favorite football team? The Seahawks. The who? The Seahawks. What? <laughs> Seattle Seahawks. Well, good job yesterday. You guys did good. Can we thank Kiana for sharing with us this morning? <laughs> Seattle Seahawks. Oh, my goodness. What well, we got to talk about them for? <laughs> but we are, we are talking about... Um, in this series, as for me and my house, that we're going to be kingdom builders. That's what they're doing for this next generation. And it's interesting because Kiana is the next generation. Raquel is the next generation. Ihilani is the next generation. Julia is the next generation. But they're serving within their generation for that next generation. And it reminds me of who we are as a church, the way God designed us to be people who pave the way for that next generation. Many of us are here because of those of you who have come before us that have said to God, I'm going to be a kingdom builder. I'm going to give to you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to do everything possible to use the gifts you've given to me and to be the person you created me to be so that people can come to know Jesus Christ. One of the ministries that I so appreciate is our forerunners or our senior ministry. These are people who have set a foundation for all of us in learning about Jesus Christ. And our senior ministry or our forerunners, they have invested so much, not, of, not just their time and their energy or their finances, but just being who God made them to be. That they love God and they love people, and so they want to do everything they can do to be a kingdom builder. So I, would, I just want to say thank you to our forerunners for being kingdom builders. Can we say thank you to all those that paved the way for us? You know, and being a kingdom builder, it's, it's how we're created. God physically and spiritually created us in such a way that we want to be a part of something bigger than us, that we want to contribute to something, and it makes us feel good. When he created us, he put within us certain things that would make us feel good when we're a part of what he's doing. He, he, we feel good when we give. We feel good when we contribute. All the things that God has done in our lives, we now pass on to other people. And as people of faith, God looks to us to spread the gospel in this world. And we do that by being kingdom builders. So today we're going to learn what it means to be more like God in being a kingdom builder and, and how we can be people who not only focus on the things that God is doing in our lives, but how we can be people who focus on his kingdom and what he wants to do with other people. And our heart here 
is that more people will come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. As we say it, we're here to reach the lost one relationship at a time. That you connect with a person that may not know Jesus Christ and then introduce them to Jesus Christ, whether it's through your personal conversation with them or maybe even inviting them to church. Somehow, we're going to partner together so that lost people can be found so that the kingdom of God can be advanced. It's interesting because not too many people have that kind of purpose in life. Many people live this life without no purpose. In fact, years ago, there was a sitcom that did so well, nine seasons, successfully, nine seasons, and that sitcom had no plot. There was no plot to this sitcom. There was no storyline to it. It was just about random things and a show about nothing. You may know this show. It was called... Seinfeld. Seinfeld had no plot to it. What are you doing? What's happening? Why are you guys making all this trouble around here? Go home already. The whole show was about nothing. And we loved it. For nine seasons. Nine seasons. A show about nothing. You know what is interesting? They actually did a study about that show, Seinfeld. And this is what they found. The reason why we love that show so much, almost sounds horrible now, but the reason why we loved it is because people who have no plot in life or plotless people love plotless programming. In other words, if you had no purpose for living, you could relate to that show. If you felt that you had no purpose in life, you loved that show. It spoke to you because you had no direction in life. Life to you was random. Whatever happens, hey, whatever happens. And you laugh, oh, it's so funny. But then at the end of the show, you're like, that's me. I'm just like that. I relate to it. Reminds me of the guy that said, you know, when I was in high school, I, I couldn't wait to graduate. I was dying to graduate. And then I thought about college. So I, I was dying to go to college. And then when I graduated from college, I was dying to start my career. And then when I had my career going, I was dying to have children and, and be married. And I was dying to have a family. And then I did. And then I was dying to retire. And now that I'm retired, I realize I'm just dying. What a goal. I mean, what kind of purpose is that? See, God has created us to have a higher purpose in being a kingdom builder. That we don't live this life on earth at random that God sees in, in, in his perspective from beginning to end an eternal value in every person he creates. Therefore, he creates us with a purpose and places us where we should be in history, even the place that we should live. God is that purposeful with us. Therefore, we should be that purposeful with him. There's a challenge that one of the men of God in our Bible faced, and his name was Joshua. He faced the challenge of people just living a random life, forgetting about their purpose. And these people were called the Israelites, the people that God had chosen to represent him in the world. Because the Israelites just came out of slavery from Egypt. So now Joshua has the responsibility to take the people of God into the promised land. But they're stuck in their ways. They still have, and most of them have, they have foreign gods. They worship other gods. Or they worship God, but they have these other gods on the side. Or they have the mindset of other nations. Their, their heart is torn between two. 
They want to serve God, but they, they like the, the, the lifestyle of foreign nations. They, they like blending in with the world, but then they also like their God. So Joshua has to make a statement and a declaration. In Joshua 24, verses 13 through 15, Joshua reminds them of what God had done, that God has given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build. By the way, you have your notes in your bulletin that you can take out. And we have our scriptures there. Cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that, are, that were on the other side of the river or the god of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And then Joshua makes this statement and this declaration. Let's read this together. Ready, go. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Yeah, they were on the verge of building the kingdom of God. They were, they were right at the point of making a, a name for themselves, but not their name, but God's name. So they were on this, this edge of becoming the people of God for the world to see that there is a God who loves us. And so they became kingdom builders. And with becoming a kingdom builder be, comes the challenges of the world, comes the challenges of our old habits. With it comes the challenge of making a decision. That as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's two kingdoms. There's the world, there's the kingdom of the world, and then there's the kingdom of God. The question is, what kingdom, what kingdom will you choose this day? Because you can't have both. That's what Joshua was saying. He was saying, you need to make a decision. Now, we have a purpose being, the, being people of faith. We have a purpose for living. We don't just live life on this earth at random. God has given us a purpose. Yes, there are many distractions out there, many voices that will pull us away, but we got to stay focused as kingdom builders. It reminds me of the story of Hank Aaron and Yogi Berra. Yogi Berra being the catcher and Hank Aaron coming up to bat. Yogi thinking, well, I'm the catcher so I can distract him. And so he's there and Hank Aaron steps up to bat and, and Yogi is saying, hey, Hank, you're not going to be able to hit this ball. I mean, I, I, got, I got a pitch coming at you. You're not even going to be able to hit. And by the way, your, your, their bat, the letters on your bat, they're upside down. Well, the pitcher pitched the ball right when Yogi Berra said that. Hank Aaron swung, hit the ball, clear over center field, home run. He's rounding the bases first, second, third, comes to home plate, touches home plate. Everybody's cheering. As he's going to the dugout, he turns around to Yogi Berry. He says, hey, Yogi, just want to let you know, I'm not here to read. I'm here to hit home runs. Goes back to his dugout. And I thought, we're not here to get distracted. We're not here on this earth to hear chatter from outside voices and get distracted. We're here to hit home runs for God. We're here for the purpose of God. That's why we're created. We're created for him, but we get lost in this world and get distracted by people saying things and even the enemy whispering things in our ear so that we get distracted. Acts 20, uh, excuse me, 11, verse 29 and 30. As the church was being built for the kingdom of God, 
the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. This they did, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. See, when you know why you're here and that God has called you to be a kingdom builder, nothing distracts you. And these guys, while they were building the early church, they knew their purpose. So giving to God wasn't even a hindrance. It was a no-brainer. It wasn't difficult. Today, as we talk about being a kingdom builder, for some people, it'll be an encouragement. For some, it'll be very challenging because it has to do with us giving to God. Now, if this is your first time, you may be thinking, see, that's why I never like come church because I knew it was going to be about giving. I knew it had to do with money or finances or something because every time I go to church, they always talk about giving to God. Then I would say this, don't even focus on giving. Don't focus on that. Don't focus on the financial part. Just listen for the voice of God because even that in itself, in what you're thinking, is a distraction. Just listen for the voice of God because what I'm about to say is not coming from me. It's coming straight out of the Bible. Yes, it can be uncomfortable talking about finances anytime, even in our own homes. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, it is more than just finances. And we're going to find that out. That God has more for us that has nothing to do with money, but has everything to do with his kingdom. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, you must decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. That's why when we pray over our tithes and offerings, we specifically say, if this is your first time or you're visiting, don't feel obligated to give. And we say, don't, don't give. But if God has called you to give and you're part of what God is doing here at New Hope Hila, Hawaii, this is your home church, then we know what it means to give. We understand the eternal value in giving to God. I understand this. I'm not telling you anything I'm not doing myself. Why would I want to do that? I understand what it means to give to God and be blessed by God more than financially. Again, if we can get that part out of our brains, out of our minds, then we can understand the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the world. The world operates completely different. And if you disconnect your heart from God, you can still give, but you'll give reluctantly or you'll give out of response of pressure. And God says, no, I want you to give because you understand the purpose of giving. That when your heart is connected with God, you want to give because God wants a cheerful, cheerful giver, not because someone told them to give. God wants our heart that's what he looks for. It's done unto the Lord, not unto new hope, not unto people. It's done unto the Lord, and then he uses it to further his kingdom so that more people can come to know him as Lord and Savior. That's the grateful heart that he's looking for. He's not looking for a legalistic view where it's law. He's looking for a spirit that says, I want to. It's a part of who I am. Acts 20, verse 35 says, And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I tell you what's interesting about that, because at face value, we can look at that and say, well, of course, because Jesus is saying it. Everything Jesus says is good. So, of course, it's going to make sense. But it also makes sense in how we're made up in our bodies, 
We have a chemical in our body called oxytocin that when we give, that chemical is released. That makes us feel good. Let's just say, for instance, you're on the bus, you're sitting down, and then there are no more seats left. Here comes a woman on the bus, and she stands up. As a man, if you're sitting down, what do you do when you see this? You stand up and you give your seat to the woman. Some of you are thinking, right, I go sleep. No, you stand up and you give your seat away. That's a gentleman thing to do, just in case you didn't know. And you have her sit down. When you do that, oxytocin is released in your system. You feel good. So does the woman. And if any other human being sees that, oxytocin is released in their system and they feel good too. Now they want to do something good. It's how God wired us up. We have relationships because of oxytocin. We love because of oxytocin. We, we socialize because of oxytocin, because of this chemical in our blood system, in our bodies. It's almost similar to dopamine, but the difference is dopamine, like uh, it's, it, you know when you eat something that you know you shouldn't, like chocolate, and you're trying to diet, or, you know, something you're trying to stay away from, like you're saying, oh, I shouldn't eat this, but ah, I stay with my friends, so I'm going to eat, and then afterwards you feel bad. At the moment, you don't feel bad. At the moment, you're like, ice cream and cake, this is the best. Or you're eating chocolates from, you know, Christmas because people gave you, you know, chocolate mac nuts, and you're like, yeah, I love this, but I don't really, but ah, who cares? So you're eating it at that time, Dopamine is being released in your system, so you, it feels good for a little bit. And then you feel bad. Oxytocin is the opposite. When you give, you don't just feel good for the moment. You feel good for a longer time period. That's how God created us. That's why if you were watching yesterday, bringing up the Seattle Seahawks, let's just say you, that's your team, when they scored, let's just, okay, that, that last, when uh, Cam uh, Chancellor got the interception, he ran back for the touchdown, you know, pick six, and so he scored. You know how loud that stadium was? You probably can't even hear yourself in that stadium, being the loudest stadium. People were cheering, and you know what was being released in their system? Oxytocin. They, why? Because what they were watching made them feel good. You know who probably had the most oxytocin in their system at that time? Yeah, Cam Chancellor. If you watch him while he is almost to the goal line, his head is bobbing. He can't control himself. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He can't help it. Why? Because there's so much chemicals going on in his body making him feel good. Even people at home, we were watching the game screaming. Why? Because we see someone giving their all. And when someone gives their all, it makes you feel good, even though you're not even on the playing field. God wired us up that way. We're made to give because we're made in the image of God. So how do we be kingdom builders? What, what does that look like? Where is the first thing that we can focus on? Start with loving Jesus. Start with loving him. Don't start with the, the, the details of, well, how much should I give? What is tithe? What is offering? Start with loving Jesus because that's where giving will come out of. It comes out of a heart of love. Now, I have grandchildren, and some of you have grandchildren. For some reason, <laughs> it's easier to give to my grandchildren than when I had my children living at home. And like, with, with my grandchildren, we can go to Yogurtland or to the movies and, or whatever it is. It's so easy to give to them. 
I don't wait for them when they go up to yogurt land and, and the, the cashier says, oh, $15. I don't look at them and say, pay for it yourself. I, as their papa, loves them, so I'm, I want to pay for them because I love them. It comes out of love, not the obligation of, well, you're my grandkids, so i got to pay. No, it comes out of love. Now, my children will look at me and say, well, Dad, you never did that with us. You never took us here. You never spent all that money. You know why? Because I had to skip you, save money for the grandchildren. <laughs> That's the whole reason. And if you're a grandparent, you understand that completely. It comes out of a heart of loving not just looking at the act of, I have to pay. No, I do that because of love. And that's what Jesus wants us to feel, love for him. He wants us to know that he is God and that he loves us. And now we can love him because he first loved us. It's the story of the woman with the alabaster box. And we have the painting over here. But the woman with the alabaster box, what is interesting about this story is that she came into the home of one of the Pharisees. And when she entered the home, they didn't wash. She noticed that they didn't wash the feet of Jesus, which is what the servant was supposed to do. And she noticed that no one washed his feet. No one anointed him with oil. And so this woman came in with that expensive jar of perfume, broke her jar, and anointed Jesus Christ, washed his feet with her hair. She could care less on how much that alabaster box of perfume was worth. It didn't matter to her at that point. Why? Because she loved Jesus. The Bible says in Luke chapter 7, verse 47, it says, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. See, if you start with loving Jesus, then you're going you're gonna to sense the difference between wanting to give and then feeling the pressure to give. The Bible doesn't want us to give out of pressure. The Bible says give cheerfully. It's out of a heart for Christ. The difference between a tithe and an offering is pretty simple. A tithe is a tenth, an offering is over and beyond. For Heidi and I, we tithe, but then we also give to missions. We also give, um, well, last week they had the uh, missions fundraiser for those who are going to the Philippines, so we give to that. We also will give to our air conditioning fund, which you can do also, and that's over and beyond because we understand that it has, it's more than just a monetary value, it's an eternal value that it's for the purpose of building the kingdom of God. And although we use brick and mortar and, and drywall and painting and all of that, it's not just to have a building. And so people can learn about Jesus Christ and then go out into the world and reach others for him. See, when we understand how we're made, then we understand that giving is more than just a principle it's how we're created. Now, you know who picks up on this? Companies. Multi-million dollar companies. They pick up on the fact that we're made to give. We're made to love. And companies know that there is that chemical that is released in our body that causes us to feel good. So what they want you to do is fall in love with their product. If you can fall in love with their product, it doesn't matter how expensive it is, you're going to buy it. 
Because isn't it true that, let's just say you're walking past a, a store and they have their window display. And let's just say there's a dress for the women. You see the dress. And as you're passing it, you see your reflection and you go, wait a minute. Like you're looking at it and you try to match the thing. And you try to see if the color would match you. And you're like, no, not that lipstick. No, if I buy that, i got to buy new shoes and i got to buy a new bag. Maybe it's possible. Then when you fall in love with that, you go inside the store and they have a dressing room. Now they have a mirror in the dressing room so that you can see yourself in their product. So that you fall in love, not just with their product now, you fall in love with yourself in their product. And then you look at the price. And it's $350 and you're thinking, I can just sell one of my children, or not one of your children, I can just sell one of my things, sell that. And some of you think that, so don't even act. Well, you think, what can I get rid of so that I can buy this? What can I, maybe I can, ah, if I skip this, then I can get that. It's like you sacrifice because you love something. The Apple store, not fruits, the actual computer store, when you walk into that store, what do you see in front of you? You see Apple products. You see iPads and iMacs and you see iPhones. You walk in there and you can actually try them. They do that on purpose because oxytocin is being released in your system. And as you're doing that, you're saying, wow, this feels good. This is awesome. I love this. This is so good. Oh, well, and what else can I do on this? Email. Just really? What else? Oh, I can do photographs on this. Oh, I, can, I can social media. What else can I do? I can surf the web. What else can I do? I can do books. And wow, I can do all of this stuff. Oh, I need this because now you love this. And then you ask, how much is it? Oh, it's only $700. Oh, only $700. That's okay, honey. You need to buy your golf clubs this month. Next month, you buy your golf clubs. This month, we're buying this. So it's easy. Why? Because you love the product. You go to a, a, a tool shop or a fishing store. You see all of these items. You're like, <laughs> and then you fall in love with it, and you buy it because you love it, which is pretty interesting because the brand new things that we buy today in 10 years become our junk. We buy a, a, a nice new phone in the year 2000. Do you still have that phone? Now, if you pake, yes, you still have it. But if you're not, you don't have it anymore. Why? Because they upgraded from an old phone to a new phone. So this new phone, when you try it, this phone is good. This phone is junk. And so you pass this on to somebody else. And you say, here, have my junk phone. I have a new phone. Ten years from now, this phone becomes junk. Then a new phone is good. And we keep doing that. Our old TVs, remember the really, really huge ones? The ones would sit on the floor, black and white. And then the antennas would come out with tinfoil or potatoes, whatever you would try to find that would work. Those were the thing. It was like a TV. We, we can see instead of just listening on the radio. And then those old, big, huge TVs became your dinner table because you got a newer TV. And so you'd put things on the old TV because it didn't work anymore and used it for something else. And then you had a new TV. And then those TVs went out. And now you have a flat screen TV, which when they first came out was like seven grand for a plasma TV. Took up too much electricity, so they went with LCD. And then LCD was outdated. Now LEDs because less electricity, but cost still high price. So now you upgrade. What do you do with your old stuff? You put it in the garage. 
All your junk goes in the garage. They never make it back in the home. They stay in the garage. And then because you have so much junk, you have what kind of sale? Do you sell your garage? No, you sell what's in the garage. What is in the garage? Junk. But how many people come to your house? Hundreds of people. They come at 6 in the morning. Or if you're Filipino, they come, you come 4 in the morning to buy stuff from other people. So now you enter into this museum of other people's stuff because one man's garbage is another man's treasure. You know who picked up on that? eBay. eBay picked up on that, making billions of dollars on our junk. We just keep swapping junk. We're a junk-swapping society. And we love it. It makes us feel good. But the Bible tells us, don't store up your treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Store up your treasures where? In heaven. You can't take it with you. Now, I'm not saying not to have stuff. We live in a world that we're going to have stuff. But the Bible says, store up your treasure in heaven. You know what that causes me to do? It causes me to reprioritize my finances. It really does. Once I understood that concept, I thought, wait a minute. I can still enjoy my life, but now I have a purpose. I want to build up the kingdom of God more than I am building up the kingdom of this world. I want to do better. And if God created us with this value in us, how much more should we understand what it means to love God and be a giver unto God? Therefore, I'm not going to worry about the giving part. I'm going to start with loving Jesus Here's the second thing. When you become a kingdom builder, you're a contributor. You can write this in number two. Be a contributor. Be a contributor. In, in, in saying this statement, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, that's what you're saying. You're saying, I'm not a spectator anymore. and I'm, a, I'm not going to be in the, in the seats. I'm going to be on the playing field. I'm going to be the one, not cheering, I'm going to be the one scoring the touchdown. That's the person I'm going to be. Because in the household of God, just like any other household, he looks for those who are contributing. He says, we're all in the house of God. We're all his children. So we all contribute. In our home, everyone contributes to something. 2 Corinthians 8 verses 10 and 11 says, here's my advice. And this is Paul the apostle saying this. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give. And you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. You know, Paul is saying, you're going to lose that enthusiasm. You're going to lose that eagerness. Go back to when you first remembered giving. And it starts with loving Jesus. Because when we, when we were in love with God, when we fell in love with Jesus, it was so easy to give to him. It was easy to serve him, easy to give to God, but then we got distracted by whatever. And then we've forgotten that Paul says, remember now, remember how it was. Go back to that time. My prayer is for those of us who used to give to God and we no longer give, for whatever reason, that God would dig a new well in our heart, that a river would flow out of our heart, that we would say, Lord, I remember what it was like giving to you. Dig a new well in my heart so that I can be a contributor. Then I'm not going to be on the sideline. 
Because everyone in the kingdom and the household of God is a contributor. Just like at home. For Heidi and I and our family, we had chores. Well, our kids are grown up now and they're out of the house. But every single person had chores. For Heidi and I, if she cooks, I clean. Or if I cook, she cleans. Sometimes someone is tired, someone cooks and cleans. Uh, what if you're both tired? Then you go someplace else and eat. You pay them to cook and clean. So there's, there's always a contribution somewhere. Our children, they would clean their room. They would pick up after themselves. Uh, they would do their chores, clean the bathroom, whatever it was. Feed the dogs or, or water the, the garden. Whatever it is in your household, everyone has a chore. For Heidi and I, whoever sleeps the longest and gets out of bed last makes the bed. So I just, if I hear Heidi getting up, I just roll out of bed. <laughs> I'm up. I'm up. You're still sleeping? Huh? you got to make the bed. And it's like 2.30 in the morning. Hey, you got to make the bed. But that's our rule. I really don't do that, but that would be a great idea. But we, we have chores because we all contribute to something. Our grandchildren, when they come over and they play with toys, we have so many toys for them, they can't play with other toys unless they clean up the toys that they were playing with in the first place. If they take out all of their puzzles, no playing with the Hot Wheels until all your puzzles are put away. And so we sing the song, clean up, clean up, everybody everywhere, clean up, clean up, everybody do their See, you know the song too. Because probably your wife sings that to you, right? Husbands, they, that's what they sing it in their head. Hey, that's your dishes. Clean up, clean up. That's your shirt on the ground. Pick it up, pick it up. That's my shirt. I got to clean that. I got to pick that up. I got to contribute. And we all do that in our house. Same thing in the kingdom of God. We all have a purpose. Many of you serve, you give, and you understand this concept. Some of you are learning about it. But you're learning to be a contributor means that you're a part of the household of God. Malachi 3.10 through 12, it says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. See, when they would bring their tithes to the storehouse, what they would do is they would, they would take the portion of the tithe, some would go to the Levites, some would go to the Levite cities, and it would help in building up the kingdom of God. And so now you fast forward the tape to us today, we still give to the kingdom of God so that more people can come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's why Paul said just you contribute, you give of what you have. In fact, Paul didn't really put a, a, a so-called dollar amount. That's why he said it needs to come out of a cheerful heart because God wants our heart. It's not really about the amount, but what you choose to do with what you've been given. It's like this, a bar of steel. You can take a bar of steel and make $32 out of it by making some nails for carpentry, 16 penny nails. You can make $32 out of that bar of steel. You can take that same bar of steel and make needles 
for medicines. And you make these needles, and you probably can get $200 out of this bar of steel. You take that same bar of steel, and then instead of making these items, you make cutlery. You can get $5,000 out of that same bar of steel by making some knives, some nice knives. Or you can take that same bar of steel and make these tiny little springs that go into these expensive watches. And now that same bar of steel gives you $7 million. Now what changed? What changed the value? Was it the bar of steel? Did, did the bar of steel change in value? It's the same bar of steel. What changed is what you chose to do with that bar of steel. And it's the same with the finances that God blesses us with. I can go to the store and, and buy some shoes for, you know, $120, a basketball shoe. I can go to the store and, um, and buy maybe some sporting equipment. Or I can go to the movies and spend, you know, $15 on snacks and, you know, $30 on our tickets and whatever it would be. I can do that. And that's what it's worth, $200. You get what you paid for. I can take that same $200 and invest it in the kingdom of God and someone comes to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that $200 value, that $200 gift that was given, now the value is priceless. What changed? Did the $200 change? No. What changed was what I chose to do with that $200, that $50, that $10. I chose to invest in the kingdom of God. See, the, the value doesn't change in itself. The value changes in what you choose to do with what you've been given. Nothing wrong with buying things. Nothing wrong with living. Nothing wrong with going to the movies. But for Heidi and I, we had to reprioritize so that when we gave to God first, then we could do everything else because we understood that, no, we're investing in the kingdom of God. We understand the purpose in why God is blessing us financially. 1 Corinthians 16, 2, it says, On the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. You know what Paul learned? Paul the apostle learned that we are a people who spend our money, and then when it comes to God, we have nothing left for him. So he says, okay, go the other way around. Put a portion on the side first. That's what Heidi and I do. When our finances come in, we say, okay, let's tithe and give to God first. We tithe, which is our, a tenth of our income, and then we give to our building fund every month, and then we give to our air conditioning fund every month. And then when there's emissions giving, we give to that. And it may seem like, whoa, that's a lot of finances going out. No, it's really not. It's a small portion of what God has given to us. It's really not. And you actually feel good when you give, because that's how God made you. You feel good about it. And so because God made us that way, why, what, is the, what is the first day of the week? Oh, well, here is Sunday. What do we do on Sundays? We come to church. What do we do in church? We worship God. We learn about God. Did you know that giving is an act of worship? That you're saying to God, I don't worship this. I give it to you because I worship you. That's the true test of my heart. 
is if I can say to my finances, I am telling you what I'm going to do with it rather than the other way around. Then I'm not going to, many of us, we spend all of our money before we even get it. So when our paycheck comes in, we really don't see it. It just automatically goes to all of our bills. And all we see is the statements. But imagine, imagine giving to the kingdom of God that you may not see a financial return, but you see people. You see people coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That has eternal value to it. So here's what we do. Here's your last point. Number three, be more like God every day. Not be God. It's impossible. Be more like God every single day. Little by little, learn. What does it mean to be more like God? Well, God is the greatest giver that we will ever encounter. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, all of us have a destination. All of us in the kingdom of God have a purpose. And with that purpose comes impact. That we want to leave this earth making an impact. We can't take this stuff with us. It's just not going to happen. When we get to heaven, we're not going to be able to take all of our riches here with us. It stays here. But we can surely store up treasure in heaven so that when we get there, it's like forward giving. And it's waiting for us in heaven. We don't know what that treasure will look like. All I know is if God says it's treasure, must be good. It must be. It has nothing, it, it doesn't compare. Nothing on this earth compares to what is in store for us in heaven. We love this game called Monopoly. I'm sure you've played that game before. The whole concept of Monopoly is real estate. Who can buy the most? Now, the greatest properties, I know, is Park Place and Boardwalk, right? You get that, you put some homes on it, people land on it, you're like, yes, baby, you're going down. And then if you get a hotel on it, you're like, you're done, dude. You land on my property twice, you're out. But if you own other properties and they have hotels, now, you, now you're kind of like, whoa, 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 hang on. Slow down. Okay, how much money do I have? And then you, you try to bargain with people. Like if they land on yours and you're thinking, wait, if I land on yours, I don't have much money. So you, it's almost like you do like a swap trade. It's, okay, if, if you land on mine, you can, you can land on it free. But if I land on any of yours, I don't need pay too. So you make this deal. So you do that. You do almost like inside trading sometimes. And so you, you help each other. And some of you guys are just, you have no mercy at all. Your children land on Park Place. You're like, pay up, buddy. They're like seven years old. What? All my money? Yeah, give me all your money. Oh, you don't have enough money. That's okay. You can sell me all your land. Then you take all of their land, and you're like, see ya. And you don't even care. You're so competitive. And then someone is like, wow, you mean yeah? No, I'm teaching them about life, which can be true. And so you have all of this, and then you win. And then you count up all your money, all the $500 bills you have, all the $100 bills, the, the ones you don't, even, you don't even count. It's like you can have the ones. That's like change. So you count all your money. You add up all your land. You're like, yeah, I win. And then you're done. And then you separate all the money. You put it all back in its place. And if you're the family like ours, the winner cleans up because, you know, you're all sore losers. So, hey, make the winner clean up. So we will do that. And, and you clean up nicely. You put all the cards back. You put all the houses back, all the hotels back. You fold up the board. 
put it away nicely, you close the box, you put it back in the closet, and you're done. One day, your box will close. One day, this world will close, and we're done. And we have nothing to show for it. You can't take it with you. All the money is put away. All the homes are put away. All the cards that we've been dealt are all put away, except one thing, our treasure in heaven. That's what being a kingdom builder is all about. It's not about our kingdom here. It's about the kingdom of heaven, making an impact for eternity. There's high value in that. We can go through life looking good, but what's the use? When I first learned bowling, uh, Heidi, they used to uh, own a restaurant at the bowling alley on Oahu, and I remember she said, oh, let's go bowling one day, and I thought, bowling? I never bowled before. So, you know, I, I played dodgeball, so I know how to roll on balls, slow and smooth over the plate, so I'm like, yeah, I can play that. So she said, okay, let's, let's bowl. And she says, but let's, let's, uh, let's wager something. I said, well, whatever. I'm thinking, I'm going to win. It's only bowling. All you do is hit pins. And so she said, how about a pack of gum? So we were, I think we were in junior high, high school. So, you know, pack of gum is a big deal. I'm like, oh, that's on quota. It's big dollars. So I better win. So, so I, I, I picked the ball. I do have to say something, though. These bowling shoes got to be upgraded. Still look like clown shoes. So I look at these shoes. I'm like, really? She goes, yeah, you got to put that on. I'm like, how many people wore this? She's like, a couple thousand. I'm like, okay. So I, 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 I get the ball, and I just run up, and I throw the ball. And I didn't know there was, like, oil on the lane. So my ball slides and falls into the gutter. Yeah, see, you familiar with the gutter, too. So it falls in the gutter. And she laughs, ah, oh, you have another chance. I said, what, really? She goes, yeah, you can try one more time. You have two tries. I said, okay. I tried again, and it went in the gutter. See, same thing. You too, you don't understand. So it went in the gutter. And then Heidi bowls, and then she just walks up, throws the ball, boom, strike. And she turns around, and she looks at me with the look that a wife would, well, a girlfriend at that time looked at me and was like, <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. What, what, what do I have to do? So I'm watching people, watching them bowl. And I'm thinking, I know what I did wrong. So I did this. I did what they did. I just watched them, and I copied everything. Walked up to the, the ball return and got the blow dryer. <laughs> Look at the pins. <laughs> Look for my ball, roll them around. Got the fingers inside and walk up. Yeah, 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 yeah. High five, high five, high five, high five. Good, good job, good job, good job. Still in gutter. But it was an awesome, awesome look I had. I mean, I had the form. I had everything. I even had the turn thingy. Everything was good. I had everything down. Still gutter ball. The whole point to bowling is to hit the pins. It's to make an impact on those pins. You can look good in bowling and still lose. 
But I think that was my pattern in this world. I would watch everyone in the world and think, how, how are they living? How, what do I do? How can I be better? What, how can I keep up with everyone else? And I would watch the world. And by the time I came into the kingdom of God, he said, you're watching the wrong people. Be a kingdom builder. Watch me. Do what I do. Be like me more every day. Then you'll understand what it means to be a kingdom builder versus being a worldly builder. Then I went from guilt of not giving to God to conviction of my spirit of saying, well, I want to give, and then to obedience. That I wanted to be like you, God. I want to be a giver. Mark 12, 42. It says, then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples and said, uh, called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Everyone was giving to look good. She gave because she understood. She wanted to be like God. She wanted to be a giver. Here's the promise of God in Luke 6.38 it says, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Now understand the principle. I don't give to get back, but that's just how God works. You can't, you can't run from his promises when you're a part of his promises. It'll chase you down. And it will overflow in your life. That's his promise to you and I. For Heidi and I, we, we could care less if it comes back to us in monetary forms. And although it does, we love seeing people come to know Jesus Christ. That's our passion. That's our heart. That's why we do what we do. That's why many of you are here. Because you understand reaching the lost one relationship at a time. You understand being a contributor. You understand giving to the Lord and helping people find Christ. For many of you, ever since day one, when you gave to God, you knew the concept of giving, that it wasn't about getting back. It was about giving to the Lord and helping people find Christ. And who knows how it will come back. Sometimes it will come back in a monetary form. But you know what is the best way to see the return? Is seeing people like you. To see people come to know Christ and serve Christ and then do things for God that you normally would not have done if you weren't a kingdom builder. That you're a part of a bigger picture. That you're a part of the house of God. As 2 Corinthians 8, 7 tells us, since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. That was... That was that was Paul's encouragement. He says, if anything, I want you to excel in this gracious act of giving. People invested in me. People invested in you. Now it's our turn to do the same. And many of you have been doing that. Some of you have been giving since day one. And because of your giving, this is all possible. We can gather together as the church. We have a parking lot where we can park our cars. We can invite our family and friends to sit on these chairs, hopefully hearing the gospel of Jesus in the hopes that they would hear that there is a God who loves them. You gave to this. You gave so that we could have a sound system so people could hear, so that we could put it on the web, so people that are around the world can find hope. And we have had emails that came in. 
Even our children and family members, they say, boy, I, you know, I, I can't come to church. I miss our church, but I watch it online. And then we have people who visit us and they say, you know, I, I was watching online and I was watching the services and boy, God just called me to move here. Tell me you're not making an impact when you have someone move here. Yes, it's Hawaii. But more than that, it's a calling by God. Can you understand the impact that you're making as a kingdom builder? You're advancing the kingdom of God. That they, the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. It's his kingdom. It's his church. It's you. Everyone plays a part. And even though you'll get distractions in the world, we came to hit home runs. Because as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord, we thank you for being the perfect example of what a giver is, what it means to be in your kingdom, and what it means to be a kingdom builder. Lord, I thank you for all those that are here, that they're kingdom builders. They understand what it means to be a part of your kingdom. They love you. They're a contributor. They give of their finances. They're learning about giving. They, they learn, they're learning more and more about being like you. And our hope, Lord, is that more people will come to know you as Lord and Savior. I pray for those who may be having a difficult time financially, that they would trust you with their finances, that you alone can do what no one else can do. The world cannot provide enough for us, but you can. You provide exactly what we need. And so we trust you with our finances and we trust you with our lives. We are grateful that we can be kingdom builders. And no matter what happens through thick and thin, no matter how difficult, Lord, our declaration is as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, and we all said, amen.